This episode of the Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by the members of the U.S. Naval Institute. Our members write, debate, and discuss key issues that ultimately strengthen the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. Benefits include a subscription to our award-winning Proceedings Magazine, discounts to over a 1,000 titles from books published by the Naval Institute Press, and graphic novels from Dead Reckoning, a discounted subscription to Naval History Magazine, special invitations to conferences and events, and access to 146 years of archival information such as historic photos, oral histories, and so much more. For more, go to usni.org join. Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me is my co-host, the Proceedings Editor-in-Chief, Bill Hamlet. Hello, Bill. Hey, Ward. How are you? I'm fine. We haven't had you on the show for a few weeks, it seems. Uh, We've had some history episodes. Me and Eric have been holding down the fort, so it's great to have you back on. Yeah, it's great to be back on. Uh, This week is a busy week for my team as we rush towards the uh, May deadline for Proceedings our annual naval review issue, which is the thickest of the 12 that we put out each each year. So uh, normally, um, you know, 11 months of the year, we're about a 96-page magazine, and then May, we're up to about 168 pages. So we've got the, you know, the rewrap of what happened in the Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, all the flag and general officer pictures, uh, the general prize essay contest winners, lots of content in the May issue. And our deadline, our blue lines, we call it, uh, is this Friday. So things are kind of wrapping up. Uh, it's a busy week, uh, but always exciting and uh, looking forward to having that one uh, off to the printers in, in a couple of days. Yeah, the May issue is always a keeper, as we say in the business. As you said, uh, it's the Almanac and has the uh, lineup of leadership, both officer enlisted, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, and DOD. So uh, that's one that people keep in their coffee tables and the outer offices and the E-ring, et cetera. So looking forward to that one. Um, Also, we just got word that the Naval Academy is going to do an in-person commissioning week, which is great. I guess what I'm hearing is every graduate gets four guests, four family members. So that means we'll have the Blue Angels, and that means we'll get to see them with the Super Hornets for the first time. They're on our brand new terrace at Beach Hall, which looks really plenty nice. Last year, the graduation for the class of uh, 2020 was that sort of weird thing where they all came back for uh, one fifth of the class came back uh, for a day, moved out of their rooms, graduated the next day and left. And then the next 20 percent came back. And so it was like a 10 day evolution to get the class of 2020 graduated. So Happy to hear the class of 2021 can all do it together, hopefully in good weather at the Navy Marine Corps Stadium. And The plebes will get to climb Herndon, which they didn't do last year. And the second class will have a ring dance, which they didn't do last year. So, uh, yeah, back to normal. Yeah, so let's get to our guests. Our, our guests today are, it's the first time we've had siblings on the show, which is exciting. Uh, it's not the first time that we've had uh, multiple time zone changes. So our guest today, one is in Naples, Italy, and the other is in San Diego. So we're like spanning halfway around the world right now, which is kind of cool. Uh, so the guests today are Captain Steve Ilteris and uh, Commander Michael Ilteris, brothers, and they are the authors of an article in the April issue of Proceedings called Resurrect the Hunter Killer Group. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. First question to Steve, and 
Uh, and you're joining us from on board your ship. You are the commanding officer of the USS Anchorage LPD based in San Diego. Um, we can see, our, our listeners can't see, but you're uh, on screen, on deck of the ship. Lots going on in your background. You've got cranes bringing containers on the ship. You've got, I don't know what's going on. There's a lot of activity, it looks like, on your ship. But uh, welcome. And uh, uh, just tell us a little bit about what's happening there in San Diego. It's nice to have the uh, a little bit of salt in the show today. Uh, yes, Bill. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having us, uh, having me. Uh, and it's a pleasure to come from the, the bridge of my ship here. Not a lot of people get to do uh, uh, stuff like this from their own bridge wing, which is pretty good. Uh, lots of activity, barges going by, sh- uh, tugs going by, things coming on the ship, off the ship, personnel moving, trying to stay out of the wind, but have a good cell phone signal, too, to, to be part of the podcast here. So thank you for having me. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and uh, Mike, uh, you're joining us from Naples. You're on the staff of uh, U.S. Sixth Fleet uh, Commander Naval Forces uh, Europe. Uh, what's your job over there? Well, actually, Bill, I'm with uh, Joint Forces Command Naples. Uh, ah, sorry, you're on, yep. you're on the NATO yep. side. Yes, I'm on the NATO side. I was uh, previously with uh, NAVIR, NAVAS, Sixth Fleet. Uh, same commander, same four-star commander, but uh, under the NATO hat uh, this time. And I work in... Uh, Joint assessments, where we assess uh, the NATO operations uh, that are going on and uh, NATO exercises. So, Steve, you're a career, as your bio says in the magazine, you're a career amphib surface warfare officer. Uh, And, Mike, your career is, uh, you've done a whole bunch of different things, but probably most of your career was spent in the P3 community doing anti-submarine warfare. Yes, that's true. Uh, it, most people say when they retire, it's like, well, that's the, t- that's the time I'm going to get to grow up and figure out what I want to do with life. Well, I came in the Navy not knowing what I wanted to do. So uh, <laughs> I've had three careers in three different uh, communities, enlisted, surface, and aviation. We'll point out the, the best part about Mike's career, from my point of view, is his time as an Ordi in VF-51. So that was phase one of your career. Um, Absolutely. West Coast Tomcat <laughs> Squadron, that's old school. Got to love it. Yep. He still talks about his Tomcat days and his Ordi <laughs> days, and, and yeah, that's the, definitely his high point, I think. The April issue of Proceedings is our annual expeditionary warfare focus, and this is a really interesting article. Our staff loved it when we read it last year. Uh, our board of directors, our editorial board, loved it uh, when they read it as well. And it's interesting because it, this combination of an expeditionary platform, the LPD, um, San Antonio-class LPDs, uh, and then ASW mission. So the article starts off with a 21st century anti-submarine task group anchored by a San Antonio class LPD could bring the fleet a substantial increase in capability, operational flexibility, and lethality. First question to you, Steve, what made you think about ASW from an amphib? I, I have to say uh, that growing up, the two of us, uh, we had always been knee-deep in, in naval history and things like that. And, and I know uh, for myself, ever since about the third grade, I knew I wanted to be uh, in the Navy. So we uh, read everything we could get our hands on. So we came to, uh, came to the Navy well-versed in, in history and, and, and uh, some tactics and formations and things like that. And then one day uh, I was uh, on deployment uh, with, uh, on, on Harpers Ferry, in the Gulf and we had sent the Marines ashore and they were doing exercises ashore, getting trained up uh, and, and, and with, on the ranges there in uh, Kuwait. 
And we got a serval request to do some DLQs, deck landing qualifications, with Army um, Blackhawks and Apaches. And so I'm like, yeah, sure, we're not doing anything. Different aircraft. It'd be great to get the experience for the guys. And we started landing the Apaches, and, and uh, I just got to thinking that, you know, if, if we embarked, you know, six Apaches, maybe, maybe a little bit more, uh, we could really be a offensive force right there to hold down a, a piece of sea, uh, you know, or, or mitigate a threat from a, a, a bit of key, uh, key waterway. Uh, sorry about the uh, helicopter noise in the background. Uh, it, it just seemed uh, that it had a lot of potential. And then just over the years and then talking with Mike and refining things that, you know, the LPD, uh, a lot of people had uh, suggested it be an uh, air warfare platform. Uh, air warfare commander could, could successfully command and control from the ship because it has a robust C2 capability, not to mention the 48 and, and all that. Um, but then spending time uh, at Fibron 6 as a chief of staff officer, and we had a, uh, we had a three debt Sierra detachment with us, attached with us, uh, well, attached to the box, uh, sorry, the Kearsarge. And more of the building blocks fell together on that uh, platform when, when I was serving there that, you know what, the LPD could be used just like the old hunter-killer groups where you had a, an escort carrier, not a fast ship, not a very big ship, not a fleet carrier by any means, uh, basic capabilities, but it brought aviation to anti-submarine warfare. And, you know, as you got to think of it, if you could bring, you know, eight, maybe more, I don't know how many we can fit. Nobody, I don't think anybody's actually looked at it. Uh, but you bring Romeos to the ship, plus you can embark the entire Deseron. You don't, like I said in the article, not a flyaway team, not a, not a skeleton staff or anything. You can bring them all. I have space for them to operate out of, space for them to do C2, robust radios, CEC. I got it all. Uh, and it just offered to me an amazing capability that could be exercised while the Marines are ashore or before the Marines, uh, you, you name it. The, the, the possibilities are endless. So when, you, when your ship is deployed, how many Marine helicopters do you normally take on board a San Antonio class uh, LPD? So deployed, the ship, uh, the, the mix, uh, the type is all dependent upon what the MU commander wants to do with his forces. So I have seen four uh, Hueys, four uh, Cobras on board here. So that's eight, you know, mix of 53s and Hueys or 53s and Cobras. It it's really varies uh, depending upon what the MU commander wants to do and the makeup of the ace and all that. But uh there, there's definitely the, the hangar is, is enormous. You can fit a 53 inside of it. You can fit a, a 22 inside of it. Uh, so, so you can just, you know, easily do uh, 260s worth of maintenance in there. Phase maintenance if you needed to. I've got an overhead crane for lifting rotors. All of it. It can all be done here. Mike, back to you for a second. Uh, so the the concept that you guys came up with, the, the name of it is Huck 21, Hunter Killer 21. Talk about that a little bit. Well, uh, like Steve said, so the original idea, um, he came from the original idea for this article. And when he showed it to me, um, 
I had already kind of written an article back in 2015 when I was with the NATO Center for Maritime Research and Experimentation. This is my actually my second NATO tour now. Um, they're doing a lot of autonomy, autonomous work with uh, underwater vehicles doing ASW. And what I had used is I had used a theoretical or hypothetical platform, an LPD, to do ASW in the uh, GIUK gap. And so when he showed me his article, I was like, hey, I've been working on, you know, worked on something like this a couple of years ago uh, that we should, you know, combine this together. And this is the perfect, you know, and at the time, you know, being at Sixth Fleet, that this is, you know, ASW being the, the, being the problem that it is over here <laughs> in, uh, in uh, Navier, that this would, that something like this would be a perfect fit um, for what we did. So it, it just harkens back to the old hunter-killer groups that they used with the escort carriers and the DDEs uh, during World War II. Uh, and then um, we did, when, once COVID hit, our exercise program was canceled. So last spring, in order to do something to keep, uh, you know, with our uh, allied partners going, we decided to send up uh, three of the Rota-based destroyers plus uh, a British frigate with USNS Supply into the into the North Atlantic, and it was like naturally came with the idea of like okay this would be perfect, have an LPD outfitted as almost the escort carrier role where you can like my brother, like Steve said you can put the command staff you have the helos you have everything you need, and then you know to control the destroyers to do uh, ASW whatever ASW mission you want them to do. So Steve, you guys go into some numbers in the paragraph called the right platform for the job. Let, let's discuss some of the specifics to include the Desron staff and, and where they would sleep and how many Romeos you want. And you have some other gear uh, in that you would, you would use as your ideal makeup for this hunter killer uh, concept. So the LPD, I've got 66 officer racks, not including ships force, right? So this is 66 embarked officer racks that I can, uh, birth, uh, plus another further 46 NCO racks. I've got uh, a joint mission planning space, a jumper with full VTC, SVTC capability. Uh, I've got a, a LFOC and a TAC log that are, are, can, can rival the spaces available on, a, on an uh, LHD, uh, and especially with the same capability, considering how old some of the LHDs are. The planning spaces themselves to service the staff are, are copious. Now, for the helicopters, uh, same thing. I have a ready room uh, for a squadron ready room for them to, to them for them to man, for them to plan out of. It's fully uh, wired back there too, with zipper uh, nipper, air offices, maintenance shacks, the upper vehicle storage area. Just the upper one uh, can fit. As many uh, pack-up kits for helicopter maintenance as you want. Uh, I have electrical shops. I have machine shops. But those can all be augmented, too, with, uh, with squadron-specific gear that needs to go in containers and can be brought to the ship. I can feed them power and, and water if necessary. Uh, it's just really the versatility is, is there on the ship. It just needs to be utilized. And that's not to mention the... The future of all this, with like Mike was saying, with unmanned systems, you can't launch unmanned systems like I can 
from a DDG or a CG. Uh, I, I can fit the biggest unmanned system you could fit in a well deck here and deploy it whenever the, the ASW commander wanted to. Um, I, I could even drop it over the side in a crane if it's, on a, if, if it's in a cradle on my boat deck. Uh, the, the versatility for, some, for a ship like this is just unmatched by a, a DDG or a CG. We also talk about you have the told reelable active passive sonar traps that you could put in the well deck as well for some great capability. Uh, you could land that in the well. Uh, but I think if I, if I read one of our, our uh, comments on the article already, a gentleman put in there that there was a, uh, an even better version of traps uh, that uh, we, could, we could put in the well and, and, and use that. In addition, it's not a substitute. That's, that's uh, one of the points I wanted to get across was this is not a substitute for a DDG going forward and doing ASW. Uh, I'm not, this isn't in lieu of. This is additive. What I, what I think this ship would bring to the fight would be additive in nature to the ASW commander or the Sea Combat commander. Uh, I'm bring, I can bring a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of planning, a lot of helicopters, uh, a lot of ordnance, uh, a lot of food. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can just bring a lot to the fight to, uh, to make the force more lethal uh, for the future. Steve, as uh, uh, your article points out, and if, if our listeners aren't aware, the San Antonio class, these are 25,000 ton ships. These are really large ships. You've got to be, you be about the same size as a World War II escort carrier was, if not bigger, right? We are, we are uh, 684 feet with a 105 foot beam. So uh, you got the, you got, I think you got the USS Wasp right here, the, you know, CB7. It, it is the, the weight of, of a World War II uh, or maybe pre-war uh, aircraft carrier. It's a, it's a big ship with a big flight deck that can uh, operate a lot of aircraft. And it can operate a mix of aircraft. We just had uh, the uh, Fire Scout guys come on board uh, last week and uh, test fit Fire Scout on board. So, uh, we're, so the, the, Navy, the Navy is going in the unmanned direction. Uh, we have the capability, we have the real estate to, to operate from the smallest to the biggest uh, UAVs, unmanned surface and unmanned uh, under undersea vehicles. Mike, uh, to you for a second, uh, in addition to the, the amazing capabilities that your brothers described in the LPD, uh, what are some of the other, if you had a hunter killer group, what are the other elements of that task group, if you will? What we try to do is um, make this as flexible as possible. So... You can add anything, DDGs. You could add, you know, allied ships to it. Um, you know, the new uh, Constellation class FFGs when they become a, become available. And we, in addition, we also talked about um, when we're drafting, writing the article is like, you know, how do you want to, how would we get this to the fleet as soon as possible? You know, um, so you know, we came up with, you know, there's modifications you can make to the ship. Or you could just use it as it is, which would make it something you could do, you know, today. You know, I know fleet battle problems have been reintroduced. Uh, and then, you know, we had done, we had looked at the old Task Force Alpha from, what was it, the 1950s with um, Admiral Thatch, where they just did, when nuclear submarines were first introduced, it was like, all right, you know, fighting a nuclear submarine is a, a quantum leap against fighting a diesel submarine of World War II. And how we could, 
at least start with the experimentation, um, and especially with uh, unmanned uh, underwater surface uh, air vehicles. How would we integrate them with the fleet? Uh, how to build this overall picture uh, for the AS for the ASW fight for the sea control for the sea control mission, um, and then tailor it. See, you know, use the fleet battle problems, do experimentation, see what works, see what doesn't work, and it would be minimal cost. Uh, and then once we find what works, and it's, it's like modifications that can be made to an LPD that don't take away from its marine mission, that would be the way to go. So that, you know, everybody would be happy. You know, we're not taking amphibs and using them for something else and, you know, depriving them of, a, of the valuable asset that an LPD is, but we're also expanding it. And I just want to add, too, is uh, being on the Six Fleet staff, another approach we took was uh, dynamic force employment. So obviously when TR deployed, uh, in 2017, and she, you know, came over to the Navier, went back to Norfolk, or came back to Navier, I'm sorry, in 2018, came back to Navier. No, we on the staff knew that was happening, <laughs> and and had planned out uh, the deployment. And so we said, all right, well, we can take dynamic uh, force employment to the next level and say, okay, we deploy, we experiment with the way we deploy ships. Now let's experiment with, like, um, how we deploy ships, you know, how we can change the roles that they're, you know, traditional roles that they're used for. It's like, hey, an LPD only does LPD things. It's like, well, that's not true. It's like Steve said, it's like these capabilities. You know, I was on the USS Ross Flight 1 DDG in, on my first deployment, and we had Desron 28 embarked. You know, having a Desron staff on a Flight 1 Burke, uh, you know, crowded, we're sleeping on top of each other, you know, stepping on top of each other, workspace, everything. So, the space for a, a staff, a command staff on board an uh, LPD would 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 free up the ships to you know focus on doing the mission, getting into the, sh the ships, get into the fight with the LPD as you know the quarterback of the whole operation. Yeah, I know everything has to be prefaced with not to take away from the support the Marine Corps mission. Uh, in fact, Steve, as you were talking about this, this was just sort of an accidental discovery when the Marines were disembarked and you had some time on your hands. You're like, sure, you can land the Apaches and you had the aha moment. But we know how to do what you're talking about, Mike. You know, I'm thinking of USS America CV-66 off of Haiti with, you know, Army helicopters. And, and you know, if we have a... a, a end game mission, we can reverse engineer and we have shown the ability to come out of the box. So what do we need to take the next step? Either incorporate this scenario in JTFX or some other, you know, sort of turnaround training plan or to just deploy with this configuration. If you look at near peer threat, what is the likelihood that we would need to land Marines amphibious in an amphibious off versus take care of a sub threat. Why wouldn't we demonstrate the ability to do that and, and also show the enemy that we have the ability to come out of our lane and, and demonstrate this kind of innovation against a specific threat. Uh, like exactly like you said, what's the first priority going to be gaining sea control. So while the Marines are getting prepped for landing, you no, know, if you're going to do an operation, you know, it's not like, you know, we've looked at back at World War II. It was like, all right, Marines rehearsed for an operation. They embark their ships. They transit a week. They hit the objective. 
Okay, so all right. So meanwhile, they're getting ready. The first, the first state, the Navy gets sea control, or we we gain sea control. LPD is used as that in that mission. Then okay, we they were ready to set the Marines. All right, we're gonna whatever the scenario is, you know, gaining back territory, going on the offensive. Then the LPD comes back, reconfigures in the traditional amphib role, and then you know goes and takes the objective. I've been thinking about this too. To piggyback on what my brother said, uh, you know the 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 center of gravity for the follow-on phase, the 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 delivery of the amphibious forces ashore, right, has to be later. The primary is to gain gain and maintain some kind of sea and air control for a limited amount of time, in order to facilitate that that second phase. So I I often I tell my JOs, you know, the invasion force for for Okinawa didn't participate in the mid battle of midway you know battle of midway had to happen first and then you know years later okinawa was invaded uh so so having the marines packed up ready to go and waiting on the periphery or or maybe even participating in some of the gaining and maintaining of sea and air control hazards that force I think it's vitally important. You don't want to just let this let this capability sit on the sidelines and wait for things to happen in order to execute that mission. So, like my brother said, let the Marines ashore. They're practicing. They're rehearsing. They're they're uh, doing everything they need to do to prep for whatever mission is coming. This ship can be outfitted, ready to go, uh, with with minimal minimal hardware modifications. Uh, to go do the fight to gain and maintain sea and air control, to fight in. And, and then, like you said, come back, reconfigure real quick because nothing is nothing is uh, uh, changed configuration-wise on the ship. It's payloads. I go from a, a sea, sea and air uh, control payload to a Marine Corps invasion payload. Okay, Roger that. How, how do we incorporate this into the turnaround training cycle? How do we start playing and deployment with this configuration just as a proof, proof of concept. Cause right now, Steve, you're, you're in the middle of what, what part of your turnaround? We're actually in basic phase right now. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example. We're in basic phase right now. Uh, and if at any time in the next uh, six months, I get called to do a serve all request to do op four for uh, some, some third fleet tasking perhaps, I could do a week of this concept right there. The Marines, I'm not even at the point where Marines are integrating. I have no Marines on my ship. Uh, ARGMU integration isn't happening till, till much later. Uh, there is time to exercise this, absolutely, in, in the basic phase. If you're dealing with a severely constrained basic phase where every day is accounted for to get basic phase qualifications back into uh, ARGMU integration, ARGMU-X and underway on deployment, then no. The ship doesn't have it, but there are the normal training cycle, the normal FRTP. There are weeks, uh, week blocks, two week blocks where this ship could be linked up instead of just going out and being a target. I can go out and embark the staff operate. And remember, the staff is doing the job. I'm driving the bus. I know what my role is. I can get the staff where it needs to be, when it needs to be. I can deploy their toys. But the staff is the one that is is doing the training and and doing the operations. So it's it's plug and play. So hopefully 
we, we could get some traction with it and try and get something done. Like I said, I, you know, the, the fleet battle problems, we're always looking for new ideas on, uh, on, on doing creative things to do. And this, I think we're at a, an opportune time where, um, you know, we've got a whole, you know, slew of new technologies and new, uh, that we need to develop the TTPs for, you know, and the SOPs on how to, how to, how to properly integrate these things with current platforms that can then set the requirements for future platforms uh, on how to, uh, on how to employ them. Like Stephen mentioned too, is like a JTFX. I think that would be the perfect time to flex it, you know, as, as you go, you know, the advanced phase where, you, you know, you can do, do an ASW type C control mission and then bring in, see how fast you can quick change the ship, uh, and then set it back out as, uh, as, uh, amphibious part of an amphibious group, uh, you know, like bold alligator, I think would, might be a good, uh, on the East Coast, Bold Alligator might be a good uh, venue for trying something out like this. Uh, and, you know, make sure you get the past the wickets you need <laughs> to get certified to go on deployment, but then have some, you know, a couple days uh, where you can, you know, try something new. Um, that was another thing, um, you know, NATO always tries to, I know there's a heavy NATO flavor here now, trying to do, uh, you know, Allied Command Transformation was, hey, every exercise that we do has to include an experimentation phase where we're trying to integrate new technologies, uh, new tactics, new procedures, all that kind of stuff. This is going to be very different for, for a lot of people. It's going to sound strange. You want to do sea control from an LPD. Uh, oh, my God, the Marines. Oh, my God, we can't operate helicopters on there. Oh, my God. Lots of oh my gods. Different. This is different. It's going to take it's going to take something bold to do this, and uh, and we got to be willing to experiment and find out what works. Maybe it's not eight. Maybe it's ten. Maybe we can fit more. Maybe we fit less. Not to mention the 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 other part in there about Sierras uh, having a Scar AR concept where you have armed helicopters uh, with with a, a Romeo up top playing sheriff. Uh, looking at the water space, seeing threats, and vectoring in helicopters to attack them. Now you've got reach over the horizon, well over the horizon, where you didn't have that before. You know, you, if you're doing a single ship, one helicopter up, you know, on a DDG, you don't have that. I can do that on my flight deck, you know. And then the operating, the, I mean, I just distract things more, but uh, operating NATO flavor in the North Atlantic, my flight deck is big. It's wide and it's high up off the water. I can I, I can land helicopters where it's going to be too dangerous to do flight ops uh, on a small boy. I would just like to add to that: being with Sex Fleet doing ASW exercises in the GIUK gap, you have it's it's very rarely nice weather. <laughs> it's not like the Autech range down in the Caribbean. <laughs> no, I've 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 done that on Ike. Um, scariest flying ever. You guys mentioned towards the end of your article uh, an exercise that took place in Second Fleet called Black Widow. When was that, and uh, did that precede your idea? Was that uh, sort of an ex a similar experiment? What was that like? No. Uh, so I was I had shared my idea with my wardroom, and I, I had them uh, get a lot of. I had them look at the article. You know, give me give me uh, you know uh, 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 a good scrub on it uh, to include my my uh, master chief, who's a my my CMC, who's a sub guy, 
Uh, and then I got a, a text, I think, from from one of my uh, so I think it was one of my officers in my wardroom that that hey hey check out this article, and it was an article about running. Uh, I think I think all they did was run the helicopters off. I don't think the staff was on board the LHD on the on the East Coast, but uh, it was like oh my god, this is this is exactly my concept, only with an LPD instead of an LHD, uh, and, and it was it was like a little bit of validation for the concept and, and and to take it further so you guys are right there or you're you steve you're right there in san diego you know i'm thinking um uh, surface warfare development squadron is uh, is there in san diego with the zoom walls and a lot of the unmanned surface you know vehicles uh so they're experimenting with different concepts you've got third fleet staff there in san diego so there's a lot of one would think experimentation going on it's a smitic the Surface and Mind Warfare Development Center is there. We've talked to uh, some WTIs on the show in the past and, and had a WTI panel out at, uh, at West a couple years ago. Well, a, a little bit of a, a crackpot uh, Captain Amphib guy bringing up helicopters and ASW. Uh, so I'm coming from a position of weakness, but uh, I sure hope getting the idea out there uh, and see, uh, see what happens with it. Steve, I'll just add that my midshipman cruises were all on amphibs, LSD-37, the Portland, and LST-1185, the Schenectady. So that's hardcore, zero draft, no beam. You're talking about a big ship. I'm talking about a flat bottom ship. This is the most unseaworthy craft. I, I rode that from San Diego to Pearl. It was the longest 10 days of my life. A warm spot in my heart for the amphib sailors. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And uh, back to the future with the laws, you know, so uh, well, we, we might be able to see some more of those small amphibs uh, coming around. Well, our guests today have been uh, two brothers, uh, Captain Steve Ilteris and Commander Mike Ilteris, joining us from San Diego and Naples, Italy. They are the authors in the April issue of Proceedings of an article called Resurrect the Hunter Killer Group. Gentlemen, really great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Proceedings Podcast. Uh, Until next week, uh, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. Catch you next time.